Well, good morning, friends. The first hour was dope, and I feel like I'm still trying to catch my breath. And I told Dale in the first hour, actually, I told him a few weeks ago that I was only going to go 10 minutes, and apparently I, he said I went 20, and so we have to make very fast moves. When, when Randy and I talked about how to end this series, we kind of thought, where do we want to stick the landing on this sermon series on Satan? We, we landed on response. How do we respond to everything that we've seen here? How do we respond in light of an enemy and a battleground, hostile territory, the, the course of this world, and all of the pain and the brokenness that that, that brings? And some of that we, we, we've done already. Understanding is a response. And over the past few weeks, we've sought to understand this enemy and his ways, what God has to say about what this world is like and what this enemy is like and how he operates. But like Randy said last week, there comes a point where your capacity to, to understand reaches its limit. It's not that God wouldn't pour out more wisdom and more insight and more knowledge. It's just that the bucket that we bring to the table is too small. And even if we had a big enough bucket, I imagine that carrying that around would probably be too big of a weight for us to bear. And so in light of that, and even aside from that, there's this reality that we need more responses, that there are other ways that we respond in light of what we've looked at these past four weeks. And I want to present one before you this morning, and it's lament. Lament. And that's not a word that we use very often, but it's shot all throughout the Bible. It seems like when you, when you read the Bible very often, the first instinct of the people of God, when everything is just crumbling, when, when death and decay, when, 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 when the enemy steals and kills and destroys, it seems like their first instinct is just to rip their clothes, throw dirt on their head, and just wail. Just agonize over everything that's gone wrong with the world. And I think that's for a few reasons, I think there's a, re- a few reasons why we see that. But one of the reasons that I think is not the case is not because they were more fragile than we are. The fact that we're less expressive, I don't think that that's a sign that we're stronger than them. They were, they were acquainted with hard realities, oftentimes in ways that we aren't. You look at the Bible, you see this response all over the place. There's, a, there's an entire book of the Bible dedicated just to lamentation, to just pouring out your heart about what is wrong in that moment. And even when we look at the Psalms, the Psalms are, are one of the most important books of the Bible because when you look at the Psalms, God has given us an inspired picture of all of the different ways that we can approach him. And the fact that he's given us uh, models and pictures kind of leads you to think that maybe he expects expects us to land in those places, expects us to respond those ways. And when you look at the the psalm book, almost 40% of the psalm book deals with lament, deals with this pouring out of the heart over everything that's gone wrong in the world. You see passages like Psalm chapter 69. You don't have to try to get there. Like I said, we got to move quick, so I'm going to read it and run. But Psalm chapter 69 David says to the Lord, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. There's nowhere to put my foot, and I'm sinking. And this is an important picture for us to see because many of us are being dragged down by the enemy, even right now, are falling prey to the the schemes of our enemy. Some of us are standing in quicksand right now, just your your own hopes are sinking, your integrity, your walk with the Lord is sinking. Maybe your marriage is sinking. And as we sink, many of us are sinking in silence. You have to think, okay, if you find yourself standing in quicksand and you're going down, why in the world would you keep silent? Maybe it's because you think that there's nobody to call out to. 
Maybe it's because you think, okay, well, I've called out once or twice and nothing's happened. I've called out a few times and nothing's happened, so I'm not calling out anymore. Maybe for some of us, there's, there's this lack of perception that we're even sinking. Maybe you don't even see it. I think some of us, maybe we're, all, maybe we're a little bit too brave for our own good. I think some of us are too manly. Like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not calling out. I don't, I don't need any help. And it's like, meanwhile, you're just sinking. And I know that doesn't mean anything coming from a baby-faced, skinny pastor. But that's one of the reasons why I'm glad that God had David, inspired David to write many of these songs, because David was not soft. David is the guy whom other people sung the song that Saul had killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. He was a warrior. He was the guy who brought down the bear and the lion and Goliath. He sang a song to the Lord where he said, you have trained my hands for war. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. This was a strong guy, but he knew God. He knew who he was calling to. He could see when he was sinking. And so he knew, I need to call to the Lord. In Psalm 69, he says, I'm sinking. I've come up into deep waters. The flood sweeps over me. I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God and waiting for my God. Days and weeks and months and years waiting for my God. Again, in chapter 6, Psalm chapter 6, another song of David, he says, I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all of my foes. And then he turns on a dime and he says, Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. David called on the Lord. I think that David understood one of the great truths about God's character. And you can see it when he, when he flips it on a dime. There. He's calling out, he's calling out, and then he turns and he says, Go away, enemies, God has heard me. Because one of the great truths of the Bible about God's character is that he cashes in the groaning of his people for deliverance. And it's not always immediately. Sometimes you do have to wait on your God. But until then, God always promises that he gives you his, own, his very own presence. And Philippians chapter 4 says that God is the God of peace. And that God gives a peace that passes understanding. That your understanding can be down here, but your peace can still be way up here. And so for God to give you his peace in the meantime until he brings deliverance, to give you his presence is to give you his peace. And so he cashes in your groaning for, for peace now and deliverance soon. Peace now and deliverance soon. Peace now and deliverance soon. And you see that in every great act of redemption in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the great act of, of deliverance and redemption is the, the exodus of God's people from Egypt. And it says in, in the beginning of the book of the book of Exodus, that God hears the groaning of his people. He hears them in their bondage. He hears them in the midst of their enemies and in the midst of their sufferings. And God brings Moses at the, the burning bush episode, and he looks at him and he, say, he says, you tell my people that I've heard their groanings and that I'm coming. And what comes after that is God, God comes upon Egypt and he brings Plague after 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 plague because that's what it's like when God fights for his people. That God brings an unrelenting assault on the enemies of his people and we don't always see it because our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's rulers and authorities and principalities and powers. But he fights, he fights nonetheless. He fights nonetheless for his people. 
And then he, he, he led his people out in the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. He brought them to a, a place where it didn't look like there was any way out. Then he, he made a path for his people to deliverance. And that very same avenue of, of deliverance for his people became the place where he, he crushed their enemies. And that's what the cross is. The cross is, is where God made a way for his people and at the very same time crushed the enemies of his good creation. And when Paul wants to write about the cross, when he wants to explain what's been won for us, he reaches for all of the pictures of the Exodus. And he writes one of the most important chapters of the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. And I wish we had time to deal with all of it, but I just want to read a few verses for you. When he talks about what the cross has won for us, and he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. And by that he means the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? You don't always see the promised land from Egypt. You don't always see where God is going to take you from where you are. But, but a hope that's seen isn't hope. But Paul says if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings that are too deep for words, that are too deep to even speak. Paul says that one day God is going to make everything right, and it will be a direct response to the groanings of his people. And that the creation even eagerly awaits that day because when God delivers his people, it's going to be so cosmic that it's going to send shockwaves that shake every bit of dust and rust and decay from every relationship, every institution, every leaf. And already in the present, because of the work of Christ, we can see places where we can have deliverance and peace, deliverance and peace. And sometimes I wonder if one of the reasons why we don't have that peace, one of the reasons why we don't see deliverance and certain areas of life is because our couches are scandalously dry. David says, I, I drench my couch with tears, with crying out for my God. And I say scandalously dry because this privilege was purchased for you at great cost. When Jesus took your place on the cross for sins, he cried out to his father. He says, God, where are you? Why'd you leave me? And he was met with silence. It's the silence that each one of us deserves. But he took that so that we can have, when we cry out, the peace and the deliverance and the attentive ear that only he deserved. And the fact that Christ bought this privilege for us by paying for sin means that this is not just for the innocent bystander, that this isn't just for the one who got sideswiped and blindsided by the enemy, that this is for the person who left the door wide open for the enemy. This is for the moments when you left the window wide open for the enemy. This is for you when you're in bondage. And the reason why you're in bondage is because you saw the prison and you thought, I want to go there. And you locked it from the inside. This is for the place where even when you, you, you looked at the landmine, you, you knew its destructive power, you knew who put it there. You knew every verse, you knew every passage, you knew every bit of wisdom and still decided to take that step and blow a portion of your life straight to hell on earth. This is still for you. And even now, even now, if we would take the energy that sometimes sinfully we put into our grumbling, 
or on our best days, the energy that we put into wrapping our, our mind around the situation and take that energy and put it into wrapping our heart around the Savior, maybe you would have peace now and deliverance soon. Peace now and deliverance soon. Peace now and deliverance soon. How soon? I don't know. But if you have peace, you can wait. And if you don't have peace, soon will never be soon enough. Do you want answers? Do you just want answers? Or do you want peace and deliverance? Do you just want more information? Or do you want to be picked up? Do you want to be able to see that place in your life, the place in a loved one's life, the place in our world where the enemy has wreaked havoc and be able to say, well, theologically, I understand what's going on there and what's really happening. Or do you want to be able to say with Psalm chapter 6, verse 8, Depart from me, you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. Don't sink in silence. So even now, we're going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to kneel. I'm going to pray a, a prayer from, from Psalm chapter 3. And then I invite you, do not fall into the, the trap of thinking that, that you are not body and soul. And so what you do with your body does not affect your soul. So I invite you to, even at your seat, if you want to just turn around and kneel at your chair, or if you want to come up to the steps, just to, to join me for a moment, to, to do this together, to, to call out on the Lord, to... To, to do this connected with one another because you shouldn't sink in silence, but you also shouldn't sink in solitude. And so now I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray a, a psalm. I'm going to pray after David's psalm in, in chapter 3. And as I do, please feel free to, to make your way up to the, the steps or to turn in your seat and just kneel. And we're just going to have a time where we pour out hearts to the Lord. Father, we have so many enemies there are so many that are against me. So many saying God will never rescue him. God will never rescue them. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory and the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay, I lay down and I slept. Yet I woke up in safety for the Lord was watching over me. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O oh God, rescue me, my God. Slap all of my enemies in the face, shatter their teeth. Victory comes from you, O oh Lord. May you bless your people. Just in this time, for yourself, for one you love, even if nobody in your life is sinking, pray for a broken creation. Exercise the discipline of groaning on behalf of those who are hurting. for deliverance soon and until he delivers for his own presence the peace that passes understanding.
Father, you know the pain of your people. You know the hurts and the groanings of your people. I pray that you would, I pray that you would hear them and that they would have a sense of your hearing. I pray, I pray the words of Psalm chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Oh, Lord, hear us as we pray. Pay attention to our groaning. Listen to our cry for help, my King and my God. For I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Pray the words of, of Psalm chapter 1, Psalm chapter 7, verse 1. I come to you for protection, O Lord my God. Save me from my persecutors. Father, I pray the words of Psalm 27, verse 8, which says, My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. I pray that every person in this room, every person listening to this, would have a sense of your call to come and talk with you on their heart. We thank you for a high priest who sympathizes with our weakness. We thank you for his gift in taking the silence that we deserve so that you would hear every groaning in this room, every lament in this room, and answer it with deliverance and peace. Pray that you would keep us until we see it. We pray these things in his name. Amen. You know, while the power of Satan is, is very real, it's also controlled. Amen. It is controlled by the, the good purposes of God. It is controlled by the sovereign purposes of God. And we say amen to that, but then we come full circle and yeah, it, his power is real. And because his power is real, the harm that he does is real. And that leads us to grieve. It leads us to hurt. That, that's what we've just cried out about. That, that's just what we've called out to the Lord about is those places it hurts, those, those places it seems silent right now. But we don't want to stay there. We, we don't want to stay in the crying and the grief. We want to we strive. We want to press on to have faith and to have hope in the midst of the suffering. We want to press on to the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Man, I don't know about y'all. Just saying that rallies my spirit. You know, it just kind of, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I, I mean, I'm, I'm being honest. Is it? Sometimes the defeats we feel... Don't they sometimes seem more real than the victories that we have? We believe the victory, especially when we're sitting in church. But boy, out there, sometimes those defeats seem just so very real. And, and that is why it is so important that we keep front and center, that we keep in our mind's eye, very current, the goodness of God and the work of God. And do you know how we do that? Do you know how we do that? We tell each other. That's it. There's nothing more complex to it than that. It is really that simple. We just tell each other continually and constantly of the goodness of God. It's why life is better connected. Hey, you know what? Life is good when we get to do socials and potlucks together. But that's not what this is all about. Okay? Because Satan is real, we stand better when we're connected you know, there, there's a command that runs all the way through Scripture. It's, it's the command to encourage. We're to encourage each other. We're to be building relationships that encourage faith, that encourage hope, that in, encourage our knowledge of the Lord, encourage us seeking the Lord. Do you have those kinds of relationships? Are, are, you, are you building those kinds of relationships? 
Because they are so important to our faith. Because they are so important to our ability to fight. There's no surprise here that one of the primary strategies of Satan, one of the primary tactics of Satan is to isolate us. The last two weeks I've, I've focused on another tactic and that is Satan moves to get us to doubt God's word so that we don't obey God's word. It gets us to doubt his goodness so that we don't trust his goodness. But another way he's moving is to isolate us from each other. And you know he can do that in, in more than one way. Did you know that he can isolate us by having us here every Sunday? Does that kind of sound crazy? Maybe even backwards? But what he does is he gets me to feel satisfied, to feel maybe a a sense of fullness that I was here today. I went to church. I, I was with God's people. Now, while I went to church and while I was with God's people, I'm not building anything with those people. I'm not sharing anything with those people. And so, yes, I mean, we all know it. You can you can be in a crowd and be entirely isolated Of course, another way he isolates, and probably what sounds more normal to us when thinking of that, is he he keeps us from wanting to be here. Hey, I got a Bible. I can can pray. I can can think about God without somebody else. Yes, you can. You can read. You can pray. You you can think about God without somebody else. But, But you know what you can't do? You cannot. There's no way possible you can obey One simple command, encourage each other. If you're isolated and alone, you're not in a place to tell others of the goodness of God in your life and to be there to listen to them because they need to obey God too, right? I mean, if they're obeying God, that means somebody's listening to it. See, I I can't do that alone. Folks, the reason life is better connected is because our fight against Satan is real. The discouragement is real. The harm is real. And we stand better connected because we're telling each other the story of God's goodness. Psalm 105 verses 1 and 2 says, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Listen to this. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Doesn't say go home in my closet and make known his deeds. Among the peoples, make known his deeds. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Listen to this again. Tell, tell of all his wondrous works. Two short verses, but did you hear all the commands in there? Man, we're to give thanks, we're to call, we're to sing, we're to praise. And you know what? I think we do that pretty well, don't you? I, I think we do that. But how are we doing at that making known his deeds? Are you making known the deeds of God in your life? How are we doing at telling? Are we telling others? You see, this is why it is so very important to be building Christian friendships. To be involved in in small groups of believers. Here in our church, we call it life group. To be involved with a group of people where I can consistently, not periodically... Because, folks, the war is not periodic. The war is every single day. So where I can consistently place myself in the traffic of people telling of his wondrous deeds. You know, I come to life group. I I get with other believers and we're talking about the goodness of God. I need that. You know what it does? It encourages and strengthens my faith. It keeps me in the battle. It reminds me, because it's easy to forget, isn't it? 
it reminds me that he actually does hear those groanings too deep for words. Now, is it, is it possible that when I go to life group today or maybe I sit down over a cup of coffee with another believer, is it, is it possible that neither one of us has a, a current story of God's goodness? Yeah, that's possible. No, that's not because God didn't do anything this week. God must be at the beach too. No, God, folks, God is doing good every day, all day. We don't always see it. And there's, there's a variety of reasons we don't always see it. Sometimes we're just not ready to process it. And sometimes we're just not acknowledging it. But yes, it is possible that two believers, 20 believers could sit down and, and we don't have a current story of the last two days, seven days of, of what God did. But do you realize, folks, that you and I always have a story if we're running a little dry on something in the last day, in the last week, guess what? We always have the future. Where does Satan strike his greatest blow but that at death? And yet that is the place. That is the place that we finally and fully stand in our victory in Jesus Christ. Listen to this passage from 1 Thessalonians. And there's a dozen I could have, I could have read. But 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And it's talking about those who've passed, those who've died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now that passage didn't say, I don't want you to grieve. That passage didn't say it's wrong to grieve. Man, folks, grieving is a part of the reality of living in a worn toward world, isn't it? I mean, grieving is what we just did under the command of Scripture. Were you surprised by what James just communicated a moment ago about 40% of the Psalms relating to lament? I mean, when I think of the Psalms, kind of the, like the first words that come to my mind would be words like give thanks and praise and, and shout and sing. But 40% are about hurting, about lamenting, uh, 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 about grief. So, folks, the Scripture is not telling us not to hurt. In this world, we're going to hurt. What this is saying is when you grieve, when you hurt, guess what? There's a hope. I want you to know that hope. I want you to hang on to that hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Hey folks, that hurt, that grief, that pain, that discouragement, that darkness that doesn't ever seem to go away is not going to define your life. It is not the last chapter of your life. Being with the Lord forever and ever, that's the last chapter. That is our hope and our encouragement. Now listen to this, verse 18. Therefore, Whenever there's a therefore, ask what it's there for. Therefore, in light of what we just read, in light of this truth, in light of this hope and this faith, here's the command. Encourage one another. Now, the sentence isn't done. Encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Folks, the war's ours. 
We have victory not only in the day with Jesus Christ. We have victory in eternity with Jesus Christ. That is our encouragement. You know, folks, there's a lot, as I've already said, a lot of commands in the Bible tell us to encourage. And some just say, encourage one another. I don't know about you, when I hear the word encourage, I think of paying somebody like a compliment, don't you? You know, tell them, hey man, you know what? I like that new haircut. You know what? I like working with you. You know what? I appreciate your friendship. Hey, great job this past week. That's what I think of when I, I think of encouragement. And by the way, that is encouragement, right? Keep the compliments flowing. We all need them, right? But this verse right here very specifically is telling you the encouragement we're being commanded to give here is not compliments. We encourage each other because, folks, sometimes the darkness is so great. And the blow of Satan has been so hard and so strong. Sometimes it's so deep. The scripture says you've got to encourage each other with words that you can anchor your life to. Words that have eternal power. And this is the word. You're going to be with the Lord forever. Encourage each other with those, whatever's happening today. Hey, we're one day closer to being with him forever. Amen. So folks, you and I have always got a story of God's goodness. Whether it's something this weekend, this week, this summer, or whether it's something we refer to in the future, we always have a story of God's goodness. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to continue in our time of worship this morning, but here's, a, here's we're just going to do something really crazy and wild. We're just going to obey what God just told us to do. That's it. We're just going to obey the command to tell each other. Tell each other of the goodness of God. Yes, I could say go home and do that over lunch. Yes, pick somebody this week. But why not do it right here, right now, right? And so what we want to do, some of you might be a little bit prepared because of last week's homework assignment, right? You're already thinking about maybe a place where Satan struck a blow, but God used it for good. God did a greater work, a, a, a better work. Maybe you're ready right now. Maybe you're not and you're having to think on the fly, But that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a few minutes, break up into groups of two, three, four people. I would not get in a group bigger than four, or you won't make it around the circle, okay? So two, three, four people, and just tell each other something good God has done, something good God is doing. All we're doing is obeying his word. Now, let me say something. I know there's probably people in here who came in here today alone. I've gone to church alone more than once. And if right now I was sitting where you are and I heard this, I'd be thinking, oh oh my gosh, this is about to happen. I wonder if there's a place where I can slip out. I would not want to do that. I I would not want to share something with two or three people, okay? I I wouldn't want to do that. And and I tell you what, we really work hard here at not making you feel awkward, at, at wanting you to feel like you can come in and be comfortable. I'm sorry you just arrived here on the day I'm not doing that. Because I just really, really feel like God has a word for you, for me, and for all of us, and that is to tell. Now, I want to say something. You don't have to speak today. Whether you wandered in here alone or or, or whether you're in here with a group, you don't have to speak. It It is completely okay to walk up to a group of two or three and say, hey, could I, could I just listen in? Are we okay if somebody walks up and says, hey, can I just listen in? We're okay with that, aren't we? Yeah, we're, we, I thought we might be. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Two or three minutes. So don't, 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 if you're the first person, don't start with, well, it all started when I was born. Okay? 
30 seconds. 30 seconds. Give everybody a chance to tell what the wonders of the Lord. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, hear our conversations. Hear our conversations rise up through this room into your courts as an offering of praise and thanksgiving. Hear us obeying you today, telling each other of your goodness and may it strengthen our faith. May it strengthen our fight in Jesus' name.